smoke break, you know what I'm saying? Having the time of our lives out here at the Emerald Cup 2019, the two-day extravaganza. You can't experience this shit nowhere else except Northern California. So yo, I gotta give a shout out to our series sponsors, Country Club Cannabis, Redwood Roots Family. It's a beautiful day to be alive right now. So yo, I just wanna share with you that I'm hella excited for these interviews from the cats at Humble Generations, the cats over at uh, Canna Country Farms, and the list goes on. And on Sunday, man, the heavyweight lineup, cats like Mean Gene, Fabian, Frenchie Cannoli, Eddie Lepp, guys who defined themselves before weed became legal. And that's really what this Emerald Cup is all about. The guys and gals who host this event, who created this event, also existed before weed was legal. And so you really have to love something to stick to it, no matter what the odds. Putting yourself in harm's way on a daily basis, because it conditioning yourself for that. So yo, that ain't no easy task. And all you guys that are out here competing with us, you're gonna learn what it means to love the plan and honor the goddess. And I just wanna say thank you to all you cats from the Triangle and throughout California for your example. It's what the world wants, man. Some real love in this world instead of this fucking fake ass bullshit we see in mainstream culture. So yo, this is gonna be an exhibition of California cannabis culture at its finest. So come on, you know what I'm saying? Come join us this weekend. We're gonna do it. Yo, GW Smoke Break, you know what I'm saying? It's Sunday at the Emerald Cup 2019. The show don't stop, the game don't stop, it never has it, it never will. And I just, I fuck, it just gets better and better. We got Fabian, TG Genetics, you know what I'm saying, coming through. Thank you so much, man, for making the time. Absolutely, my pleasure, brother. It's, it really is a pleasure for me to have a conversation with you that we can preserve and record, because uh, I'm really thrilled about your position in the game. Thank you, man. I mean, for you guys that don't know Fabian, he's one of the most passionate uh, individuals in the industry, hailing out of Trinity County. Uh, Shasta County, East Shasta, Tehama County line. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but uh, this guy, man, he always speaks from the heart. Uh, he gets people worked up, and uh, in my case, what I what I get out of when I, after I see Fabian, uh, his his speeches is like uh, self empowerment and the I can believe attitude, and that's really what our community needs right now. And so another thing that I respect you for tremendously is that you're open about your trials and tribulations, yeah, absolutely, and, and getting over all that shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Running through it, which is something that if we all did as humans, we would um, be stronger people. And like right now, I just want to acknowledge that you were in Vegas. Yeah. So you look, you're, you're a little tired. I'm beat to shit, Even brother. bigger reason that I thank you for making time, dude. Oh, absolutely, man. For you, uh, anything. It's the first time we really get to talk and meet, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but we've been watching each other for a long time. We know what each other have been trying to achieve. So, and we have a mutual understanding of what it's like to do these kind of interviews, you know? It's weird to be on the other side of it. Well, I feel like our hearts are in the same place. Totally. Our passions are in the same place. Absolutely. Uh, you know, the direction that we're going, I love how you want to, you don't talk about succeeding for yourself, you talk about the community. Oh, it's all about us, man. I believe in us. I mean, you look around this place, which, you know, I gotta say to uh, Tim and Taylor Blake, this was probably the best one in a long time. Uh, kudos to the both of you. But you look at all this beautiful culture, man, this people who have been fighting and struggling through this shit for years to bring you this industry. It seems like after a few years now, we've all kind of taken our hits and got smacked in the face and made our decisions, but it's kind of leveled out. And you can see hope in people's eyes, man. You know, and that's the most beautiful thing about it is 
you know, if you love the plant like I love the plant, like I know you do, then I feel like we're really obligated to take care of the people of the plant too. You know, it's a reciprocal thing. And I just really wanna see us grassroots folks who have paid the price to get where we are today, come together and make sure that we have a seat at the table. You know, I say all the time, if they don't wanna let us have a seat at the table, then let's make our own fucking table. And let's give all of our friends and companions and kinfolk seats at that table. And that's where I'm coming from. Hey man, you say I believe in us, but when I hear you express yourself, I believe in you, man. I appreciate it. And so that. what I want to know is a little bit more about you, Fabian. Yeah, yeah, let's go. How did cannabis first uh, intersect your life? Well, I mean, I've been, you know, like, I always say I'm a first class degenerate. You know, I was always, <laughs> I was always a pretty bad kid, real mischievous from, from day one. In San Jose? Uh, well, I moved around, man. I've been a gypsy my whole life, which I think kind of played a part into my story of kind of becoming a degenerate as I never had a place to call home. I didn't have be roots good to yourself, anywhere. Be nice to yourself, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, I'm just an informer, informer talk. Um, and I, I lived in San Jose for a few years. I grew up in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico, actually. My whole family moved down there for a period of time. Then up into Oregon, Oregon back to San Jose, and you know, into my, my teenage years, like all of us, we start experimenting with drugs and alcohol. Um, cannabis was never so much a drug for me. It was the only time in which I felt normal. You know, as adolescents, we're so crawling out of our skin at school. We have these hormones. As men, we're trying to hit on chicks. We're dorky. We got acne. Our voice is cracking and squeaking, and it's just a really hard time. And it, was, it wasn't a, an escape like drugs are. It was just, I felt like me. I felt normal. I felt like I was comfortable being Fabian. So cannabis had played a part in my life at a very young age, but my sister was one of the first patients to get a script back in 96 when everything went medical. So she's been a patient from the beginning and I watched my sister's life literally be saved through this plant. So, you know, it has much more of a deep-rooted issue to me of, you know, saving the my sister who's like my best friend. And that's how cannabis came into my life and it just never's gone away. Even now, I, I've, I retired from cultivating two years ago when Prop 64 went intact and I never thought I'd ever do that, but it brought me to doing what I'm doing today, which is the most grateful and rewarding experience of my life. So, you know, everything happens for a reason, man. And if I wouldn't have gone through the struggle on the hill and on the farm, I wouldn't have this passion. You know, like, I, nobody would be able to relate to what I'm saying. I couldn't relate to what you were saying. I'd say something and you'd be like, no, that's not what it's like, because I never lived it. And that's what I think is our advantage as an industry, brother, is Bill from the Beard Bros, shout out to Beard Bros Media, uh, we were in a meeting or on the phone or something and he, because they're some of my closest friends, and he said, Fabian, there's no SOP for culture. And I went, that's fucking brilliant. There's no SOP for culture. That has to be lived through blood, sweat, and sacrifice. It's not something you can learn in a seminar like all these suits are trying to get us to believe. And that's where our value is. That's where our leverage is. And I just hope that and I, and I think I'm starting to see it from the reaction of this, this year's event is people are starting to feel that. And I went to Vegas, bro, and I came Talks back and, the, all, you know, it was, uh, I never thought 13 years ago when I went to prison, I'd ever see something like that, you know? I went to prison for cannabis and going to, to Vegas was like a mind fuck. It was mind blowing. I couldn't believe what I was seeing, the amount of money, the size. But when I left, I was on the plane, I'm looking out the window and I just laughed and I said, we're gonna win. 
because there's no culture, they don't have no understanding, and they're wasting millions of dollars on products that will never see the industry. Nobody like me or these guys who just won the cup are ever gonna use these products, but somehow they're getting hundreds of millions of dollars for prototypes. If they can get funding, if they can take things to the next level, any one of us can, man, because we got more tools in the tool bag than the normal Joe, you know what I mean? I like it when you talk like that because a lot of guys who did go to prison, uh, their lives never get better. You no. never regain that confidence. It's like if you're a boxer, you're a champ, and especially if you've never got knocked out. But the first time you get knocked out, it's hard to get back on your feet yeah. to have that uh, that confidence you need in the ring, right? Sure, totally. So that's a quality that you've already demonstrated. So do you mind if I ask you what the what was up with the case that you caught? Well, you know, I was in the state of Idaho at that time. Well, you know, I've been in trouble my whole life, right? But what eventually put me in prison, um, you know, I was caught in the state of Idaho with 25 grams of marijuana. Um, in one bag, there were, um, you know, there was a ledger involved with numbers and things with added uh, complications to the case. Um, so you were going big back then? No, it was just like, actually it wasn't even my writing, it was uh, a buddy of mine who eventually I ended up taking the rap for because, you know, they, they tried to give, all, give these enhancement charges for me, right? Really scare me as a young man, try to tell me what was going to happen to me in prison, you know, really try to make it a violent experience of shock. And Fuck them. they came in and they were like, you know, we know this handwriting isn't yours. It's very obvious. It's not even like, you know, we had it analyzed, but anyone with, with fucking eyes can see it's not your handwriting. You tell us right now whose handwriting it is, we'll let you walk out of here with probation. And I just looked at him and said, let's take it to the box. So I fought the case. Uh, I eventually got sentenced to four and a half years in a state penitentiary in Idaho. Um, and I was lucky enough to really only have to serve about a year, year and a half, well, yeah, 22 months. Um, and then I was released on parole. But you know, I think the biggest crime of the drug war when it's related to cannabis is when individuals like me go into a state penitentiary for weed what you have to become to survive that in most cases is someone who you never were before. So you become this person who is on survival mode. And when you're trying to survive in that kind of a violent environment, you're gonna do whatever you have to. And you become a person that you never were before. And I think that's where the real crime is in this because I've literally watched young men been raped and murdered and you know brutalized on the prison yard and they were in there for cannabis. Yeah, maybe they did some other crazy shit to have that all happen, but it was because of a plant, man. And there's people still locked up and in the, the state of Idaho. look at you as soft if you're in prison for cannabis, I'm sure. Well, they're like, you know, what is weed? I mean, in Idaho at least, you know, everything's illegal. But if it was California though, I wouldn't have had any problems like I did, but it was where I was. And, you know, it was a shitty experience, but I'm grateful for everything that had happened. If, if, if I wouldn't have gone through that experience, I wouldn't be who I am today. And I deserved it. I was like a piece of crap. I just happened to get caught for pot, right? Like, I was not a good person in my former life. So, you know, going there and going through that experience was brutal, and it, it took a long time to recover from it mentally, you know, and spiritually. But I'm grateful that it happened. I always say I have no regrets in life. All the bad that I did, the only thing I regret is causing my mother and father and my sister pain and fear. You, you know, that's it. I, I, don't, I don't regret anything because it all's supposed to happen, you know? So that's where I sit with it. I'm not proud of it, but I'm proud that I, you know, 10 years ago was strung out living under a bridge, 
running on the street of Spokane, Washington with a gat, being a very violent, devious individual. And, you know, today I'm, I'm blessed to be sober and, you know, living a good life. I have my family back in it. And, you know, I, I came from the trenches and I'm not where I want to be, but I'm a lot better where I was, you know? Uh, did you have an epiphany in prison? Do you remember how your mind was when you got released? I think where the epiphany kind of happened was over a period of time. And, you know, when you go down to the prison yard, you go into a place called RDU, which is like receiving and diagnostic. They got to check you out, you know, physically, mentally, where they're going to house you. They need to uh, observe you for a while, right? So, you know, we go down on the prison bus and, you know, it takes, you know, two days to get down to the prison yard. This is your first time, your intake? Yeah, yeah. So, at, at the, the, the main, main facility. So we go in there and they shave your head and make shave your beard and they get you all looking the same. And, you know, a guard starts walking around the room and there's about 65 of us that got transferred on that load. And he's walking around the room and he says, 2% of you are gonna walk out of here and never come back and 98% are gonna reoffend and come back. And I'm like looking around the room, I'm like, there's, that's like not even one of us. 65 people, fucking 2%, that's, that's crazy. And I never forgot that. And there was another time during a uh, drug class that I was in that a counselor said that roughly only two to seven percent of meth addicts ever get clean and I was a meth addict on the street so there again there was that two percent that came into my head and you know I was in a I was in a violent riot that ended me up in uh, admin segregation for a while and while I was in there I was just blown away of who I had become and I'm thinking about those two counselors and correctional officers about the 2% and reoffending and being my family. And it became a philosophy of my life of being the 2%, of beating the odds, of being better than your former self, about being better than those around you, trying to take people to the next level. And that's where it hit. And I have 2% tattooed on my hand, I got it tattooed on my back, and that's how I live. It's just about fucking beating the odds. When everyone said they counted you out, when everyone said you were gonna be nothing, you overcome and take it to the next level. When I was in, I got sent to a boarding school for high school, because again, I was a bad kid. And when I graduated, the man who ran the, the, the program, he said, well, we never accepted anyone with your record, I hope you don't end up in prison. This is supposed to be the man who's leading young men into the new world, and I never forgot that. And I thought about that experience when I was in that cell of like, fuck, he was right. He was fucking right, I ended up here. And I'ma prove him wrong. And I'm not perfect, man, I've had a lot of problems since then. I fall every fucking day. But it's about being better than your former self. And you know, if I gotta start my day over a thousand times again, I can do that. It's intent, man, it's a mindset. It's all about intent. And when you fuck up, the fastest thing to resolve out of shit is just to be like, yo, I did it, my bad. No, no excuse, no rebuttal, no explanation. I, I fucked up, let me resolve that for you. You know, I read a book about Native American philosophy, particularly about braves and warriors. Sure. And the, the men who were expected to be brave and courageous and for Native Americans, you shouldn't pray for an easy life. No. It says, should I stay at home and eat all day uh, without a care in the world? It's like an Indian phrase, Native American phrase. Right. And so the, the point is, uh, 
when you have adversity, it builds character. Right. And uh, you, you, you live a greater life through overcoming your obstacles. And whether you win or lose, it's a learning experience. Totally. Um, and so I took that with me. And again, those are the qualities that I see in you because now you're a leader in our community. Well, I just want everybody to know that they're not alone, man. And I think especially with our industry being what it's been in the shadows for so long, you know, we've had blinders on. We don't talk about our life. Um, as men up on the hill, we don't talk about our feelings or our problems or our issues. Um, it's just a different world other than any other industry. And what I'm trying to do is just let everybody know, like, homie, you're not alone. You think you're going through this shit on your own? You think you're the only one experiencing that? Fuck that, we all are. And you just need to know that it's gonna be okay. We all suffer from the human condition, bro. And a gift that you gave the community was the Yokayo Ranch. Well, that was, the, that was our second meeting of what we're trying to achieve through Propagating Purpose and the Coalition. And that was just one of the most beautiful experiences, man. To watch those people come out, we packed the house. You know, shout out to, to the family at the Yokeo Ranch. I love you guys so much. You made that possible. Um, and it, to watch the community come out and have a real, like, cannabis cup, dude. It was just like growers raiding each other's weed and smoking and having a good time and being in that vibe and a great food and great, you know, conversation. And then we had three dynamic speakers that really kind of painted a narrative about what we're up against. And it's a giant, man. It's absolutely a giant behemoth of an industry. And that's why I always use hashtag face the giant. You know, this may feel like David and Goliath, but there's a lot of Davids in here, man. There's a lot of strong motherfuckers who got heart, men and women all over this country who have paid the price to sit at this table. And I think together we have a way of really making that happen. And I hope that through my, my voice or my ability to communicate or traveling, that we can actually accomplish this on a large scale. You know, they say that when the shit's done hitting the fan, there's gonna be five MSOs that own everything. My question is, why aren't we one of them? Why? I think we can be. I know that we can be. I know that because the cultural wealth, the cultural sovereignty is real. And you inspired me before I even started you, W Smoke Ray, because I see, I saw how you're connecting with uh, your audience, with our community, through the honesty and the real emotions that you put forth. So my question is, now that legal cannabis is here, you stopped growing two years ago. Yeah and now you're an advocate, you're teaching, you're, you're bringing the community together. Um, what's your position in 2020? What's your focus going to be? My focus in 2020 is to form the coalition and become, make that active. You know, this idea of us getting together and working as a strong unit. You know, Craft Beer did it with the Brewers Association. I think it's time that we do it as a, as a grassroots cannabis movement. And you know, it, it, it's, it's very complex at this point because there's a lot of moving parts. There's some nonprofit, there's some for-profit, um, there's some cooperative, you know, we need to structure it the right way because I wanna make sure that nobody can steal it from us. I wanna make sure I can't steal it from us, right? I wanna make sure that the intent is wrapped up in the fact of this grassroots community. It needs to be farmer-owned, farmer-grown. We all need to have a piece of this pie. And I think that it's not just a California thing, I think it's a national thing. I think it's an international thing. We already have people in the UK and in Sweden and in Denmark who are already signing up to be a part of the coalition. And all these funds from membership that's gonna go forth, is gonna go forth advocating our mission. You know, we, we need to figure out a way to get shelf space. We need to figure out how to educate the consumer because what we're dealing with right now in the market 
is that those who are going into retail mainly are people like my mother and father who are in their late 60s, you know, late 40s, late 60s, and they're really a lot of women. So we need to cater to those people because they're not dumb consumers. They're the most conscious consumers of our generation. And if you go into a store, everything is organic, it's a vegan, it's gluten-free, it's non-sugar, and you can go into a store and request an item, and they'll have it for you. You'll see it. Customer requested item, now available. So these consumers are not dumb, they just don't understand cannabis. So when someone like my mother goes in, who has the best intent in the world, who eats safe, who you know, shops the, in the right places, goes in there, she's directed by either the bud tender or like all humans, to the pretty packaging. That's just how we are. It's not her fault. We need to take all of our resources, time and effort, and educate these people. So that means we need to have marketing campaigns, education campaigns, that means you know Facebook advertisements, whatever, however the message needs to get out, we need to get it out. That includes working in film. So we've got a lot of things that are going on right now that I'm really looking forward to sharing with the community that are really big. Storytelling. Yeah in a big way, in a national way. So, you know, those things are being wrapped up right now, but I, I think we're in the route for that. So, That's dope, man. Yeah, That's dope. Yeah. So, Fabian, uh, you're pushing this line of organizing. Do you see yourself reintegrating into, like, legalized cultivation, if I touching have the, the plant? If I have the opportunity to touch the plant again, bro, that's the only thing I'm going to do. Because walking away was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. It almost killed me. Literally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, because this is all I know. This is who I am. Cannabis is my life. So walking away was difficult, but it was the right thing. And if I have the opportunity to step back in the game and have hands on, you better believe it. But with the amount of, with the amount of things that the coalition is going to encompass, I don't see myself really having the time. Mm -hmm. And Good problem to have. You know, but... It's the way God wanted it, brother. I don't understand why I'm here, but I'm here, and I'm just gonna make sure that everybody knows that I fucking believe in us. Mm -hmm. 100%, man. Yeah. We got about uh, three, four, or four minutes or so. Sure. Uh, and so, in a nutshell, um, what has the plant taught you over, over all these years? This plant has taught me that I know nothing. I know nothing about myself. I know nothing about the world. But through it, I was able to learn a lot. And we're gonna do like rapid fire. Yeah. So Trinity County, you lived out there? No, but all my best friends do. What can you say about Trinity County cannabis culture? Trinity County is the last real backwoods outlaw, rebel, redneck county in the fucking country. And I love those motherfuckers. They go hard, they grow amazing cannabis. Uh, shout out to one of my best friends, uh, Nick from uh, Trinity Sungrown. And, Jake over at Farms of Trinity Forest, two of the most badass outlaws I ever met in my life. And you know, the best depths I saw this year came out of Trinity County. So shout out to you guys. Are these guys uh, licensed? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do they uh, participate in the cup? No, but they are here today. One of them is because it was birthday yesterday. So he came to hang out with all of us. But uh, you know, some of those guys don't ever come off the hill. They're just dedicated to what they're doing. Two last questions, or maybe one and the same. Yeah. Is there anybody that you look up to now in the in the industry? Um, if you could please name that person, and also if when you first really got into the industry, there was a community leader, an OG that you, that you learned from or looked up to. When I came in this industry, everyone who I thought was an OG, I turned out was really fake as fuck. Everyone who we thought was real cool, that was a real fucking dirtbag. That's what I learned. 
and I wanted to make sure that I never associated with people like that. And when you're in the game long enough, you figure this out. We all go to Cubs together. We all spend a lot of time together, man. And you find out who people really are. And that was the most heartbreaking shit in the world, that someone I looked up to was really just a punk piece of shit, a horrible human being. And there's a lot of them. I want to make sure that no one ever looks at me like that. I want to make sure I can never let anyone down to make anyone else feel how I did as a kid. And who do I look up to? That's Pat Pooler from Heroes of the Farm. There is nobody in the game right now who is achieving what Pat is. Pat, I love you, motherfucker. And uh, if I, I think he's probably, you know, between him and Jackson and a few other key people, the top five breeders in the world, hands down, that are alive anyways. That's dope, man, yeah. that's dope. Last, last question, man, I promise. For the world that wants to come to California to taste, to try our cannabis, to experience our culture, what do you got to say to them, man? I say that if you're going to come to California and you're going to taste the culture, you go after real culture. You go after family-owned, family-grown cannabis because that's where you're going to find it. Whether that's indoor, outdoor, light deprivation or extracts, make sure that you're supporting the small farmer because these big corporations, they don't give a shit about you. They are pipping the plant for profit and they're making sure that they put the wool over your eyes to put the funds in their pocket. Support grassroots cannabis, face the giant. Face the giant. And to all you shady motherfuckers in the industry, I got this for you, motherfucker. Hell yeah, dude. I love you, man. Yeah, awesome, brother. Thank you for having me. Real pleasure, real pleasure. 100% dog. Yeah, yeah.